For much of his life, on textbook producer Will Burrell has been interested in the history of war. For him, it's like the games of chess he plays, but only up to a point. My view of war is kind of like every time you move a piece, you need to make sure that it's like supported and covered by the other pieces on the board. And if you fail to make that connection in terms of strategy, you will lose a lot faster. When you think about like just a simple act of moving troops, there's always that other level of what are those soldiers going to eat? And is their equipment going to break? Do they need extra equipment? And so when you think of like a bunch of old generals in a room kind of moving pieces around a board, there's always so much behind that in terms of like moving little toy soldiers around on the floor. Will thinks that people have a tendency to glorify war, to think of it like an action movie. But to him, it's a lot more interesting to think about the logistics and consequences of strategic thinking. So he read the book On Grand Strategy by Dr. John Lewis Gaddis. The book is about comparing the different strategies and tactics of generals and leaders throughout history, drawing comparisons into what the successful ones do similarly, despite massively different periods of time. In this episode of Untextbook, we'll talk to Professor Gaddis about the complications of warfare and why some of history's best leaders act like foxes and why some act like hedgehogs. That's coming up after the break. I'm Gabe Hostin, and this is Untextbook. Untextbooked. So, uh, Professor Gaddis, you talk a lot about the fox versus a hedgehog in terms of a type of leader. Who was Isaiah Berlin, the guy who kind of came up with this idea? If you want to go viral, the best way to do it is to turn your ideas into animals. Uh, and this will then ensure that they get circulation. And so this distinction has become famous ever since then. Isaiah Berlin was born in 1908 and brought up in St. Petersburg, and he lived to witness the Bolshevik Revolution as a small boy. He went to Oxford in the 1930s, studying and teaching uh, philosophy, um, and he became one of the greatest party goers anywhere. He just loved parties. And uh, it's at one of those parties that somebody told him, the fox knows many things, the hedgehog knows one big thing. Berlin was fascinated by that, and then later used it as a scheme to classify great writers, which great writers were foxes, which great writers were hedgehogs. And this was the drift of uh, Berlin's great essay, The Fox and the Hedgehog, which came out in 1953. It went viral uh, before there was an internet. And so this distinction has become famous ever since then. Could you explain the, uh, the concept of The Fox and a Hedgehog? Well, the idea is simply that uh, the fox, through its characteristics, is agile. The foxes are the people who have many ideas who don't constrain themselves within a single ideology. But look around them and see what the world is and see what's working and what isn't working and feel uh, able to experiment. The hedgehog uh, does not move fast. The hedgehog needs no further defenses than the spines on its uh, body. 
And if confronted with a challenge, all it needs to do is simply roll itself up into a ball. The hedgehogs are the people who go through life with one big idea interpreting all of reality to fit that one big idea. I think it's a great case study here, and it's it's um, the first Queen Elizabeth and King Philip II of Spain. Spain was the greatest power in the world in the 16th century. The Spanish Empire was very much a top-down empire. It was administered from Madrid, but if you uh, go to Latin America even today and just look at the architecture in the great cities, they reflect Spanish imperial architecture all the way from uh, Mexico down through the tip of uh, Chile. The language is the same. And the administrative mechanisms were also the same. Very little initiative left to the locals. Uh, Everything was imposed from the top down. But when England began authorizing exploration, just on a very limited basis, of what became British North America, the east coast of the United States, these were charters that were given to entrepreneurs, and they were given, say, uh, Virginia, and told, this is your colony, develop it in whatever way you, you wish. And so what happened was that 13 separate little countries developed with minimal interference from London. And so different forms of government could evolve. So you can trace the uh, evolution of North America and South America today back to these two forms of management from the 16th century. Micromanagement on the part of Philip the Great Hedgehog and what we would call macro-management on the part of the Great Queen. That is just leaving it to the locals to figure things out. So the strength of the hedgehog is its focus. The strength of the fox is its agility. And grand strategy requires both focus and agility, it seems to me. Leading off of that, how would you define grand strategy? Uh, Grand strategy is the relationship of aspirations, which can be unlimited, to capabilities, which are always limited. So if you go back and look at Xerxes, for example, in classic hedgehog, he was the king of kings in ancient Persia, but he was not content with that. His aspirations went on to the conquest of Greece, uh, to dominating all of Europe, in effect, all of the known world. And I don't doubt that if he could have got to the moon, he would have had aspirations to include the moon within his empire uh, as well. Obviously, he didn't do that because his capabilities were limited. And so, uh, you know, he did not get to the moon. He did not get all of Europe. He did not even get all of Greece. He ran into trouble along the way because uh, he overextended his capabilities. He thought that simply because he was the king of kings, that would automatically ensure him with all the capabilities he needed to conquer Greece. But what he had not counted on was uh, how dry the climate is. He hadn't counted on how big his army was so that it was drinking rivers dry before it crossed them even. He had not counted on uh, bad weather. Um, He had not counted on resistance from the Greeks. And eventually, when he got into a naval battle with the Greeks at Salamis, uh, with the Athenians, he had not counted on his sailors needing to know how to swim. And of course, they did not know how to swim. So when they were rammed by the triremes, uh, they just sank like stones. He had not counted on any of this. And that's a failure of grand strategy, for sure. 
Could you give some examples of uh, great leaders from your book who you talked about being uh, either a fox or a hedgehog or maybe even a combination of both? There have been um, leaders, I think, who have had the characteristics of uh, both. I would put Franklin Roosevelt in this category. I would put Lincoln um, in this category. You have to remember, Lincoln was a politician, always, um, with less formal education than just about any other president uh, has ever had, only less than one year. But nonetheless, uh, uh, wonderful political uh, instincts. He knew from the time he went into politics that he was anti-slavery and that it was necessary to get rid of slavery because it was against the principles of the, of the Declaration of Independence. However, Lincoln was uh, skillful enough not to come out as an abolitionist because this would not have been popular in Illinois. People may be anti-slavery, but they certainly are still uh, racist in various ways. And uh, this would have been the case of death in Illinois politics in that period, the 1830s, 1840s. And in fact, he does not come out as an abolitionist until after the Civil War starts. So he rises very skillfully within, he basically creates the Republican Party, rises uh, very skillfully with, within it and becomes president. But without specifying what he was going to do, his platform was keep the union together. And that, he said, was more important than anything else. He didn't say what he would do about slavery. It was only after the Civil War got started, it was only in 1862, when he saw that if he could unilaterally emancipate the slaves, this would create a great military problem for the Confederacy because the Confederates were relying on slaves uh, not so much to serve in the army, but to supply the army and grow the food and all of this. Uh, and Lincoln very craftily waits for a battle which he could claim he had won. Uh, and this was Antietam, which was more or less a draw, but it, first good show by the Union forces. And he declares then emancipation at that point, but only in the southern states. He just says nothing about the slave states that remain loyal to the Union. So this, again, is one of his compromises uh, along the way. And then finally, at the end of the war, the last months of the war, it's clear who's going to win. And Lincoln is seeking to institutionalize the abolition of slavery through a constitutional amendment. He was doing everything that he possibly could to get this through the House of Representatives. And so he was bullying legislators. He was bribing them. He was paying them off. He was threatening them. Everything you can think of short of murder, he was doing to get this through. Having a compass, having a North Star, having an objective that throughout your life you remain loyal to. But very skillfully making diversions when you need to. It's very characteristic of Lincoln. Uh, and FDR is a fascinating case. And what he has in common with Lincoln is being a politician, of course. Even though he came from a completely different background, you know, wealth, education, Harvard degree, all of this. But he was an avid isolationist. He was very carefully avoiding involvement in the war that was brewing uh, in Europe. Not because he was complacent about the dangers uh, from Hitler, uh, but because he knew that we could not do anything about those dangers if we were still sunk in the, in the Depression, didn't have the economic capability. So he had a sense of priorities, first economic revival, and then you can do something about the great adversaries across the ocean. And so he's very slow 
to involve himself in European affairs very, very cagey. It didn't help Eastern Europe, which fell into the Soviet sphere of influence for the next four and a half decades. There wasn't much we could do about that. And this is why in grand strategy, you're never quite free from tragedy. You're not, you're never quite free from the need to make difficult choices. But it's also the case that these kinds of challenges and successes in meeting these kinds of challenges actually wind up making uh, the people who do meet those challenges more resilient and more robust for having done so. Dr. John Lewis Gaddis is the author of On Grand Strategy. Professor Gaddis, where can our listeners find more of your work? In bookstores, on other podcasts and interviews, and if necessary, uh, get in touch. Dr. John Lewis Gaddis is a history professor at Yale University. Will Burrell is a high school junior in Massachusetts. Our website is untextbooked.org and we're on social media at Untextbooked. Our music is by Silas Bowen and Coleman Hamilton. Untextbooked is edited by Bethany Denton and Jeff Entman. Fernanda Rain is our executive producer. Untextbooked is a project of Got History an organization that believes in a world where all young people can advance civic well-being for themselves, society, and the planet. Thanks for listening.